Welcome to this week's edition of the Aquila Report in Weekly Review. This is our opportunity to come before you as the Aquila Report. Tom, uh, Paul Harrell and myself, uh, Dominic Aquila. Uh, and just to review the top 10 articles that were chosen by the Aquila Report readers that were posted last week on the Aquila Report. And uh, so uh, it's our opportunity to prepare you for the uh, top 10 list that always comes out on Tuesday. So this is a Monday, March uh, 13th that the podcast is being recorded and we're reviewing these top 10. And then on March 14, you will receive the top 10 all hyperlinked and ready for you to click on and read through. Uh, if you're listening to this after the uh, newsletter comes out, uh, then uh, hopefully you can just interact with us and uh, see if we, uh, Paul and I, hit the highlights in a good way. So we're just real thrilled to be able to bring this uh, to you and the articles here I think are really wonderful. I said, uh, Paul, I, I noticed the number of links with other articles within it, so we'll just bundle them up together when we get to them. But uh, again, it's always interesting to see how individual people in reading uh, on their device uh, these articles and what they choose as something that they want to read and we get our top 10. It's just how they sort of have a theme through them. And yes. I think it's interesting. And if, and if an article is labeled part one and then the, the second part comes out and people like part one, they're going to read part two. And that's happened in two instances here that we've made, yeah. the, made the top 10. So absolutely. So Tal, why don't you begin for the, giving us the titles and authors for 10 through six I'll do five through one, and then we'll begin our discussion. So Brad Isbell makes uh, number 10, the church's two laws. Number nine, the muddy waters of the Enneagram by Don and Joy uh, Vaynaut. Number eight, we have a plea for patience in the PCA part two by Ryan Beasy. Coming in at number seven, Tim Challies writing Revival at Asbury, a cold take. And number six, Church Abuse Victim, Easy Targets and Misused Critiques. This is by Aaron Hahn. Okay, and then number five is Unmasking Abusive Spiritual Leadership Part Two, uh, Marks of Hypocrisy by Stephen Light. Uh, number four is the art number part one of that BZ um article uh, series that he did at uh, number eight as well. Um, the, that, um, uh, you know, gives us the picture of plea for patience in the PCA uh, is number four. Uh, then we have one by Trevor Thomas uh, that uh, gives us the uh, title, um, the, um, where the title, Tucker Carlson calls out the professional Christians. Uh, number two, Unmasking Spiritual Abuse. So this is uh, part one of what we'll also see in number five uh, by Stephen Light. And then number one, uh, our friend uh, Tom Hervey, uh, You Reap What You Sow, The PCA's Internal Difficulties and Membership Losses, uh, written by Tom Hervey from uh, Greenville, South Carolina area. So we start with this one, number one. Uh, again, that you reap what you sow, the title, the PCA's internal difficulties and membership losses. Uh, subtitle, for some time now, the PCA has been uh, in a, has been a, there has been a tendency to normalize and make acceptable the experience of certain unmentionable sexual desires by failing to meaningfully combat them. Along with that, then uh, Tom Hervey also meant uh, makes the point hopefully i'm wrong on that point but to pivot back to the hypothetical uh to the real the fact that uh remains that the pca like the broader church in america is not flourishing at the moment and is best with uh, beset with real problems if we wish to receive god's blessing we shall have to rely on his strength john 15 5 and submit to his requirements and that means as i have said above that we cannot allow serious public wrongdoings to go unpunished, lest also we incur his wrath. So that's quite a, a statement uh, and uh, that uh, Tom Hervey gives here. One of the things he begins talking about in business world, 
Uh, he says that there are many frustrating characteristics about the modern world, one of which is the tendency for people to needlessly complicate things. Anyone who has worked for a large corporation will know what I mean. Suppose that Department A has failed to meet its goals because its employees have been unreliable and been slack in compete, completing his work. The obvious remedy would be for leadership to pull the slacker aside and tell him that his performance is unacceptable and must promptly improve or else he will be replaced. But he says that is not how most corporations actually do it. Instead of dealing with the troublemaker, directly leadership will call an all-department meeting to discuss the problem, thus taking their productive employees away from their work, dodging the real issue, and putting the department even far farther behind. The meeting itself will take any of a variety of forms. Probably it will be suggested that the failure is that the whole department and everyone will have to hear the lecture about how they need to, quote, prioritize and work harder to get uh, done what needs accomplished and so forth. So he just goes on with that uh, background as setting the stage for what he wants to say about the PCA. Uh, he says, now, uh, it says the response is so common in the workplace, it essentially it is essentially that of the Presbyterian Church of America as regards her internal difficulties. For some time now, there has been a tendency to normalize and make acceptable the experience of certain unmentionable sexual desires by failing to meaningfully combat them. The matter has been debated, discussed, studied, and investigated for almost five years now with an enormous quantity of words. A Missouri Presbytery's report on Greg Johnson and Revoice contain about 145,000 words combined, while the 2021 Human Sexuality Report, which was produced by a committee of the General Assembly, is uh, another 30,000 or so words. So for comparison, he says, the New Testament is about 138,000 words in the Greek. Now, now I say all this uh, of uh, that all of this uh, this excessive time and words has been a great uh, has in a great measure an endeavor to dodge the essential issue. Whatever the merits of its formal content, as a method of responding to something that has unsettled the church, it has been as tedious and misdirected as the typical corporate response mentioned above. It carefully skirt skirted the root issue and did not hold the offender to account. And it's in that that he says the failure of the PCA and, it, and how it's being uh, hurt by not rising to the occasion, seeing that something was wrong and find a, a clear route to uh, dealing with it and the application implications uh, for that. So um, it, it's a very helpful article as he that uh, Tom Hervey gives here, and he adds some other things, not just the immediate thing of the study of the last five years. Uh, he says, um, he goes on to say, hopefully I'm wrong on this point, but to pivot back to the hypothetical to the real, the fact remains that the PCA, like the broader church in America, is not flourishing at the moment and is beset with real problems. If we wish to receive God's blessing, we shall have to rely on his strength. Uh, as I've uh, said above, uh, that cannot we cannot allow uh, serious public wrongdoings to go unpunished, lest also we incur his wrath, especially in this case with those who hold office and have sworn to maintain the church's purity uh, for the word stands. If you take a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. And so uh, we're just given a, a good warning here to be careful. And I think people are re resonating with uh, how um, Tom Harvey has been articulating articles and through other articles, and in this one, including uh, uh, Paul. And I think we know that uh, we've been around those slackers or the people who are afraid to, you know, face things, take their stand when it really is hurting the whole, even if yeah. it's only the part that's, you know, functioning. I mean, fundamentally, what what Tom Hervey is calling for is, is church discipline. Uh, you know, and he mentions, uh, St. Louis, the, the name of the church escapes me. Um, that the, the left Memorial, uh, Memorial yeah, so he mentions Memorial and what they were doing on their campus. And, you know, uh, these, uh, you know, LGBT performances and shows, you know, geared towards, 
the you know the uh, LGBT enclave mm-hmm. in our in our society and how you know it was just left undone. And so I I think about what the Bible says about you know if you if you spare the rod you spoil the child. Uh, specifically discipline, you know, taking it down to the family. It, it's Bible says if you don't uh, discipline your kids, you hate them. And I mean, it, it's just to let them. And as a as a parent, as a father of a five year old, man, it's it's hard sometimes, right? I don't want. I would rather be passive. I would rather have that 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 Adam mentality in the garden, uh, because it's easier in the moment. In the moment, it's easier to not have the confrontation, to not discipline my five year old, right? Um, but if I don't do that, it's actually it's a, it's an act of hate because she's going to grow up and she's not going to uh, you know respect authority and and she's going to continue to sin and and bigger and better uh, you know in, in ways that I you know don't even want to imagine as a father right and so it's the same concept just you know in a bigger a bigger arena when it comes to the church and so his point is really well taken and I'm it's no surprise why it's number one right. Well, then we come to number two, which uh, written by Stephen Light, Unmasking Abusive Spiritual Leadership, Part One, which is he deals with shunning. And we're going to combine it with number uh, five, which is part two, Marks of Hypocrisy. Uh, They overlap in one sense, but we'll just start with number two, and then we'll also uh, deal with some of what we have in number uh, five by Stephen Light. Uh, basically, the, there's been there have been a number of articles and books that have been written. There are some of them uh, that uh, Stephen Knight puts into this uh, article as well uh, that highlights that there seems to be at least more consciousness of um, leadership abuse is basically the reference here as opposed to uh, uh, any other kind of abuse uh, in the light of, of um, the church. And so he. Um, uh, refers to this he defines it uh and then the first article deals with the shunning 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 is uh present not only among cults but is also prevalent among uh seemingly biblical orthodox groups with um uh, spiritual abuse leader abusive leadership uh and he defines what that is and how it can take place in uh, different categories and then he says well how does it even work he says well uh, first of all the those who are perceived to be a threat so they identify people who raise questions as threat to the power and control then the uh, spiritual abuse of leadership is marked then this can happen in a number of ways some individuals by simply asking questions or raising concerns in the church in good faith are labeled as a threat uh, there's exclusion they may be kept out of uh, the power structure or just in the context of the flow of ministry. Uh, somehow they're also discredited, maybe demonized. And then it leads eventually to uh, full shunning where people are told just avoid that person who is raising things. Now, it may not be that they're raising anything that, uh, you know, the that is, and they're doing it correctly, but they're still, ch- it appears challenging to uh, leadership. So that's uh part of it so Stephen covers these um different actions and also uh what actions can be done about it just to set the stage then on the other uh it deals more with instead of shunning uh the marks of hypocrisy um is is a pastor or leader treated with greater deference and charity than others are reports about harshness anger or bullying from the leader quickly rationalized discredited or ignored regardless of the fact that there is a steady stream over time of such reports uh confidentiality is broken uh the staff is expected to um uh, appreciate the leader and uh, not challenge him in any way there is a hierarchy uh within that leadership and expected to be followed uh demonize with standards for thee but not for me also are there so uh, the there's just a isolation that's really taking place in both counts and both uh, articles are dealing with that. Uh, but uh, this seems that we're hearing more about this now than we have in the past, probably always been there, but it seems that it's being exposed a little bit more at this time. And uh, I know Paul that in uh, part of the reason that you and how you and I got to know each other is because there was some of this going on in the settings where 
uh, you were. Well, uh, I will just say that the article itself is, uh, you know, extremely interesting. And, and, and you need to read, if you read part one, obviously you need to read uh, part two. Um, but there's a, there's a part in here that deals with narcissism. They even give like a website, which is, uh, I think, a secular, it's a non-Christian uh, resource. But the, this article does cite that called uh, NARC, uh, N-A-R-C, uh, narcwise.com, which is which is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a part of the article where it basically says that anything, to, you know, if you if there's a disagreement, then the accusations of slander are made over just, you know, a disagreement. And uh, that certainly was uh, interesting to me that this uh, this would come up. And then there's one part here in biblically orthodox context, often at the root of abusive leadership and shunning is the sort of self-idolatry commonly called narcissism. This takes the shape again and again of a charismatic figure compelling its leadership, capable in its use of scripture, remarkably gifted in different ways, yet underneath ripped by sins of great spiritual pride and need for control. He labors to hide these from all people and especially from himself with ministerial activity and forms of piety. He views himself as fundamentally different and above others and unable to begin to consider the possibility of something being so wrong within. This leaves him with great insecurity and unable to receive criticism or be questioned in his judgment. He excels in gathering others around him by flattery to serve as supporters, training and convincing them of his ways, but will swiftly crush them if he detects disloyalty. And then it, it, it uh, talks about the, the resources of that NarcWise uh, website. But anyway, yeah, it is a uh, it's a pretty interesting article. And uh, I guess we, you know, it brings to light something that this spiritual abuse is an uncomfortable subject for many, especially those who've gone through it. Uh, and also, you know, that we, you know, hate to see it in the church because the uh, next article, number three, is basically more in the political arena, but it's it touches on the life of the church, and it's titled Tucker Carlson, who of course works for Fox News and has his own program, uh, calls out the professional Christians, and so he always does a monologue at the beginning of his um, weekly program, uh, weekday program rather, and uh, in which he highlights things that have happened recently with regard to. Um, individuals who uh, believers who have taken positions of course we know about the cake maker and uh, others that are professionals uh, photographers and so forth the wedding cake and and other things that uh, where they're people who zone in on them because they uh, say my faith will not allow me to make message or create messages or affirm uh, things like the LGBTQ uh, community or unions and so forth. Well, in this case, there was a uh, man uh, that I think the uh, name um, uh, Mark Houck, H-O-U-C-K, who was, uh, you know, where his house was raided because he had been caught praying in front of a an abortion center. And um, a, a year after the fact, his house was raided and it was a sort of a shocking thing early in the morning with 20, 30 agents uh, fully dressed in SWAT and so forth that, you know, scarred his the children for life. I just put right. this in there. I covered the story, scarred his children for life. And it will. Exactly. And well, that that's what started. Then he also referred to uh, things that taking place in, in Canada where uh, an individual uh, pastor uh, protested um, and the, uh, the, the drag queen reading live in the library hour and and uh, he was uh thrown out arrested and and uh, so forth and is under charges so he just says the point of this article and what this uh, person was saying is where uh, tucker was asking where are the uh, professional christians and tucker asked again the question the important question where are the professional Christians? Tucker's again named names, and so this is the second time in his narrative. He says you have to wonder again where uh, where David French, Beth Moore, Tim Keller, and all these people who are defending Christianity as actual Christians are being arrested for being Christians. Hmm, not a word. And uh, so he's just asking where are quote those who are sort of uh, high profile, uh, the professional Christians in that sense. They have names, recognition. Where are they? And he says, tragically, more French um, 
and Keller are far from alone. As I've noted multiple times in past of several um, years, whether professional Christian, Christian celebrities, pastors and priests, uh, Tucker Carlson or anyone else uh, or everyday Christians are far for, for far for too long. Many Christians have sat on the sidelines when it comes to grave moral issues that demand our attention. And thus, in a matter of just a few short years, we went from a near nationwide rejection of same-sex marriage into widespread, uh, to making it seem widespread, and now often legally enforced and uh, required to embrace it. And where are the professional Christians, you know, the named ones? Now, all Christians are, you know, at least Christian leaders should give their assent because not all of the Christian leaders in the communities are well-known, but those that are, that appear to be standing for, you know, things of justice or um, uh, ethical issues that are important to the biblical uh, church, uh, where are they and so forth. So this article, I think, resonated with people. And I think uh, if you haven't read it yet, uh, when you get it tomorrow in the newsletter, the Equal Report, uh, hopefully you will uh, read it. I I saw this segment. I'm sure that's a shock to some of you out there. <laughs> no, I, I saw this segment and, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting, um, you know, to, to call out, uh, you know, people who are, who are silent when, when this is going on. Um, and, uh, you know, what's ironic is that a lot of these people, what have I heard? A lot of these, a lot of these Christian leaders, they punch right. Typically they punch right. And then they hug left. I think it's somebody, I don't know yeah, who's told that's, said that. That's becoming a phrase. That okay. I've that's heard. becoming a phrase. And mm-hmm. you know, it's ironic because they're dabbling in, uh, you know, excuses for CRT critical race theory or, uh, you know, social justice in the gospel and, you know, trying to kind of, you know, remake it. And, you know, they're, they're trying to do all this to get a cultural seat at the table or to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're trying to do all this to reach the lost in those, in those groups. And what's, really sad about it is is your you know your profession as a professional minister of the gospel depends on and all and all of our lay people do as well it depends on being able to speak freedom of speech and it's so often these these uh you know people on that side of the spectrum they want to end debate they want to squash speech and they want to uh well they're anti-christian i mean they're fundamentally anti-christian and this is this is why it's uh, it's odd that you wouldn't you wouldn't speak out, and I guess you don't. In, in many cases, people don't speak out because they don't want to be associated with those of us who are on, who are Christians and maybe on the right who are outraged by what's going on in our culture. Um, it's this. It's this. I don't know, Dominic. It's like a need to somehow uh, be above the fray. And it's, oh, I'm not. A, I'm not a Republican. I'm not. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a liberal. I'm not a conservative. I'm. And it's really advancing this myth of neutrality. I, I, that's really what this is. Neutrality really isn't a myth. It's, it's you know, it's you, you know, we're, you're you're pushing a worldview. It's either a biblical worldview or it's a pagan worldview. It's really only two choices, you know. Anyway, that's my two cents. Okay. Well, it's uh, it, it's a concern, and so we, you know, if you're with um, which thing that comes out of the Spider-Man with much responsibility, if power gives much responsibility. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's an appropriate phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. Number uh, four, as well as number eight, uh, dealing with this, a two-part series, a plea for patience in the Presbyterian Church in America uh, by uh, Ryan Beasy. Uh, the, basically, his thesis is that the in commenting about churches, and it goes back to what uh, article by Tom Harvey that we saw number one. Uh, there are obviously there are things that happen in the life of any church, any denomination, and sometimes it can get overwhelming to the point where people get impatient and want to leave. And he's saying that's a, a plea for patience. Uh, the, let's keep working on things. That's what our task is. We we're good Calvinists in the sense that we have to believe in the tea of tulip. Uh, that. Uh, you know, that we're still wrestling with our individually with sin and then corporately we would see it. So nothing is going to be uh, perfect. You don't have utopia. But so and but it can be daunting and overwhelming if we are constantly having to put fires out. So in this case, he raised, he said, what are the concerns that we have? And he mentioned some deviations in the PCA uh, refers to, for instance, ordination and church office that the uh, General Assembly has 
for many years, I mean, I'm literally decades, wrestled with and uh, about whether or not women can be ordained as deacons. And uh, the, the General Assembly has been adamant uh, all these uh, decades to say, no, they shouldn't be. Some churches, according to what BZ writes here, have then decided that what they will do is have deacons, but they won't ordain them and they'll just be uh, mercy workers or diaconate assistants or some other title. And that way, if you're not ordaining them, you can have the group then made up of men and women. So you you're you have a board of deacons without claiming ordination so that you have a board of deacons that uh, may uh, you get, you know, with men and women. That's one thing. And he has some examples in this article uh the also about um who can uh, properly preach in a church uh, uh that's reserved for men only and there's some churches that are beginning to allow women to preach in their pulpits and he raises that there are also distinctions about how the um even the, the sacraments especially the lord's supper uh, elements are uh, administered uh, with practice like in either pedal communion or intinction. So he, he lists these things and people could probably be reading it, shaking their head. Yeah, I, I know this is here. I know it's there. But in the, in the end, basically what he says is uh, there are indeed deeply troubling deviations from our standards and constitution throughout the PCA. Now, he says in my next article, I argue this is no time, though, to panic or to wring our hands over the PCA, but rather this is a time to focus on patience, perseverance, confessional subscription, and the church courts. And those of us who are concerned by the blatant disregard for our constitutional standards have caused the grief, but we should not and could not should not despair. So I think it's a wise um, statement uh, uh, and an admonition that Ryan Vesey gives to the church. Uh, and if you go look back through history, and as I've said before, I teach churches regularly. I said every single generation of the church, starting right after Pentecost, the church has gone through every kind of issue, uh, upsetness, you know, division, uh, you know, uh, uh, doctrinal issues, and so forth. Uh, we try and work it out as much as we can. Uh, we're so our generation's no exception. So the call to uh, patience is uh, really good and helpful at this time with this. Um, article here these two articles specifically this deacon issue though I, he does a really good job of kind of highlighting the issues and he he talks about the website you know people have uh you know uh females listed as deacons on their websites um he writes we live in a moment of time in which the fundamental distinctions among mankind are not simply being ignored but denied the terms man and woman are confusing to many in postmodern america while there doesn't yet seem to be confusion in the PCA on the definition of man or woman, there do <laughs> let's, let's just hope we never go there. There does seem to be confusion on the definition of deacon in the PCA. The PCA constitution is clear on who may serve as a deacon. The office of deacon is an ordinary and perpetual office in the church, BCO 9-1. Men shall be chosen to serve in that office, BCO 9-3. Deacons are among those who have been inducted by the ordination of a court. Yet a number of congregations in the PCA seem unclear about this. Some congregations list women as deacons on their website, which is clearly at variance with the Book of Church Order, which limits the subjects of ordination to men only. Some congregations perhaps try to get around this by not ordaining any of those whom they call deacons. So they call them deacons, but they don't they don't they don't uh, ordain any of them, whether they're men or women. I guess so as not to make the women feel discriminated against. I don't know for lack of a better term. And mm -hmm. so it's it's just it's it's see it's it's looking at the BCO as a hurdle, not something that protects us, not something that clearly lays out what, you know, we, we expect our, how our courts are to operate. Instead, you look at it as a, a negative thing. So we have to not ordain any of them. And then you, then really you, the question is, well, what, what is a biblical church at that point? Uh, when we, we can clearly see the office of elder and deacon, you know, laid out for us. And so I agree with Ryan Beasy, um, that these 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 things have got to get talked about and they've got they've got to be addressed. We can't just like the first article when it was talking about memorial and everything else. 
where we are afraid to or afraid of the confrontation. We, we can't be afraid of the con- confrontation, right? The question needs to be asked. It's right there, black and white in the BCO. If you disagree with it, there are other denominations <laughs> and not to not to encourage people to leave. They really just need to be corrected. Right. I'm, I'm not actually I don't want that to happen. I, I, I would rather uh, I, I don't I don't want a memorial situation. I, you would rather have people stand up for what it says and 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 correcting people where it's appropriate. Right. Isn't that at least that's what I would hope. I, Dominic, maybe I'm wrong there. But. No, no, I think so. I, I think you're not you're not wrong. And I think it's uh, appropriate to look at it. And the thing that that uh, Beasley started talking about is just don't uh, don't get overwrought with it because it's happened before. Churches resolved it. And if in time it doesn't, then there are the remedies, obviously, in ch- that are taking place in the history of the church. But uh, this is not the time to uh, lose heart. And I think that's a good exhortation uh, for us in these two articles, even though he's pointing out things that can be uh, just in clear light of day, you know, distressing by themselves. But uh, the church has been through that and worse and survived. And so we just need to practice some patience on that. Okay, the um, artist number six brings us back to... uh, Abuse, but this time it's from sort of a, a critique of those who have been talking about uh, the abuse in the church, and it's entitled by Aaron Han, uh, "Church Abuse Activism?" Question mark. Easy targets and misused critiques, and so he's um, a counselor, and he's specifically reacting to uh, article by Samuel D. James uh, when. Uh, in which he was dealing with uh, additional thoughts on uh, church abuse activism generated by books like When Narcissism Comes to Church by Chuck DeGroat. And and he is responding, uh, so James is responding to DeGroat's book, and now Han is responding to the article that James gave and reviewing that book and giving understanding of it. And so there appears to be in uh, Han's uh, analysis a, a disagreement with some of the terminology as well as definitions that are used. For instance, he'll say more to the point here. Uh, here is how I restated James' main point from his initial review. First thesis: Biblical categories are superior to psychological categories, and psychological categories are harmful, heretical. See the thesis two. Biblical categories allow us to come to true and accurate judgments, whereas experiences and feelings do not. So he takes those two things for the rest of his article to explain uh, what, uh, how to make sense of what uh, James raises in, in that regard. So he says, back to the first thesis, are biblical categories really superior to psychological ones? I believe James's approach suffers from an overworked antithesis uh principle similar to movements generated by Cornelius Van Til, Jay Adams, and New Thetic Counseling, uh, the ACBC movement. Uh, and then he has some quotes from that. From the perspective of Christian psychology, concepts derived from creation, um, grace, uh, that's common grace, such as narcissism, can be employed with careful accuracy when transposed into the higher orders of sin and grace. They're not necessarily incompatible. So he's making a case that that uh, we can make, uh, you know, if it's understood correctly, that uh, Christian counseling and dealing with categories like spiritual abuse, uh, authoritarian abuse can be handled. And he also deals with the area of uh, feelings and uh, experience uh, in light of what James raises as a concern that those become the standard by which we make judgments and how we counsel in the church when it should be on the basis of what scripture teaches and the principles flowing from that. So um, it's good interaction. Um, I'm glad it's here because it's good and helpful for uh, us in the church to hear others in the church that uh, have a different uh, approach to it. And then we can wrestle back and forth and have a good discussion as I like to say, well, borrowing someone else's good statement is now what we have is more light uh we're not into immediate cancel culture we want to have more light is good it sanitizes our uh, conversation and helps us to sharpen ourselves 
uh, more. So yes. uh, this is a good article, I think, that will challenge, depending on where you are, uh, uh, by Aaron Hand. Yeah, I mean, we could we could say that this list, this may be the most narcissistic top 10 list the Equal <laughs> Report has ever has ever seen. That's why I said we we unconsciously, I guess, I don't know. We're, we're, I better be careful because that may be a, one of those words that gets me in trouble um, in, in light of that discussion. Great. The, it seems like there is a people have, are reacting to something that's happening in the church that's probably always been there. In fact, in, from you go back to the Old and New Testament, you can find individuals like that. And uh, somehow it's surfaced to the point where it's out public more than it has been before. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, that's good. That's a good point. And this this article has other resources, you know, specifically other links, I guess. So the mm-hmm. review of when narcissism comes to church generated some of the more pointed pushback I've ever received from those I would consider generally in my theological slash political tribe. So he links to that. Uh, so you definitely want to kind of, in order to get the context of everything, read some of the stuff that's highlighted, the tweets that are referenced, and that it'll give you a good understanding of what this article is about. Mm-hmm. Okay, now number seven is the uh, question about uh, the uh, uh, by Ta- uh, T- Tim Ch- Chalice on Asbury's uh, University's revival and titled "Revival at Asbury: A Cold Take." Uh, the revival at Asbury has already come to an end. Uh, what began as a brief and simple chapel service turned into weeks-long worship event that drew tens of thousands of participants and elicited tens of millions of opinions. Only now have I gathered my thoughts and bundled them into uh, a cold take, as he says. I trust that you won't mind if I've, that I've chosen to share it in a series of short thoughts rather than a single essay. So in other words, these are just the thoughts. He hasn't de- developed every single thought, but enough that you can he- see where he's going. Uh, for instance, uh, in this cold take, some things may be wrong or misguided, but not uh, particularly dangerous. A small revival or purported revival, if you prefer, at a small college far away does not necessarily demand a great deal of scrutiny by those who have no connection to it. While it is good to have powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, there is usually little need to put the effort into what does not intersect your life and what is unlikely to cause anyone a great harm. Those biblical calls to discernment ought to be considered alongside the exhortations about meddling in affairs uh, that are not your own. So that's cold take number one. Uh, he also says revival is not a clear biblical category, like, for example, uh, deacon or baptized, just those words being titles. Uh, it's not a word that we find in the New Testament, and it does not tell us to try to generate revivals or to be uh, to uh, be on watch for them. It doesn't even instruct us to pray for them, though there, that may be a good thing to do. It is clear that God sometimes chooses to work in ways that we choose to label revival, but God's greatest and most consistent work is through the ordinary means of grace within the local church. Uh, Because the Bible does not define revival, it may be difficult to know exactly what one is and exactly when one is happening. It it may describe a range of circumstances and experiences. So you can see that uh, Tim is a very uh, rational, sane um, uh, approach to, um, to how to evaluate events like what happened that did make so much, um, you know, the press, the secular press picked it up as well as the uh, uh, the church uh, press as well. Uh, but it's good to look back on it. So if you want some categories, this is the article that will help you um, put things in order. You know, I, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about this um, with, you know, different people. Um, and I like the part where he mentions revival is not a clear biblical category. For example, you know, uh, it's not like deacon or baptized. It's not a word we find in the New Testament. And it, you know, uh, uh, it does not tell us uh, to try to generate revivals or, or be on watch for them. It doesn't even instruct us to pray for them, though. That may be a very good thing to do. Uh, he writes, it's clear that God sometimes chooses to work in ways that we choose. Anyway, so, um, I, you know, and I I look at uh, the biblical markers that I would just look for, not not for 
again, the word's not there, but I mean, you look at what happened to the church when Peter preached, right? And 3,000 people were added, right? Um, that is a, a mark of, I don't know if you put that in a revival category, Dominic, or you just put it into the, the church grew, you know, people repented, they turned mm -hmm. to Christ, and then they started associating with the other believers and, and going to church, you know? Um, and, I mean, in Old Testament, maybe you have examples where existing believers uh, or or people who are supposed to be believers, maybe in the, jo the the example of Josiah, you know, they've rediscovered the law, maybe, maybe. Um, but but then again, I mean, you have a lot of people that look at what's going on in Asbury and are maybe optimistic, but at the same time, some of the videos and stuff that have come out, you know, make us reformed people a little uncomfortable. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, uh, just kind of, let's just see what the fruit of, let, let's just wait and see what the, what the fruit of, uh, you know, this is going to be and time will tell, I guess. I think it's a, that's a, you know, a, a positive way to be. So. Yes. I think it's helpful with those, instead of one single essay, as he said, it's a number of thoughts that really sort of collect them together in it. And because those are questions that I know I've been asked as people ask for my opinion as to what was taking place uh, as well. And so uh, Tim Chalice has really uh, helped us with that. Okay, number nine, the muddy waters of the Enneagram. Uh, this is a critique of book that is uh, just come out, how we relate understanding God, yourself and others through the Enneagram uh, by Jesse Eubanks. Uh, this is, article is written in this re review is by Don and Joy Vinot. Uh, and um, so their summary, one of their summary phrases is, unfortunately, as we look at the list of the many sources, Eubanks lists that he draws upon for his knowledge of the Enneagram, his worldview, and his understanding of the Word of God. He primarily draws from heretics, New Agers, and nonbelievers who are uh, the leading lights in the Enneagram movement. This alone should show that the material in this book is not informed by scripture, but rather scripture is interpreted uh, through the new age spiritual sources uh, who created the Enneagram. That's one level there. Um, the other would be the origin of the Enneagram are mysterious and often contested. And some say it came from the early church in the fourth century. Others say it was primarily developed in the last hundred years. It's not really clear, but what is clear is that such a broad list of contributors, both Christian and not, the Enneagram is best understood not as a Christian tool, but as a human tool. So the this review is saying that it's something that is questions whether or not Christians ought to uh, be involved in this and uh, taking in whatever the test is uh, or however they arrive at what the results that has made it uh, popular. Uh, and so it's just a good, warning, helpful review that, um, you know, is important for us to, um, you know, to consider wh where we find our help. And basically it ends up with uh, from the, what Solomon gave in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God and keep his commandments uh, for this is the whole duty of man. So I don't know if you're familiar at this with uh, I, I am or not. I am. I was at a church one time that I think they tried to get me to take one. I, I don't I don't know. I was one of those guys that t terrified of standardized tests. You know, I mean, I might have known the answer, but I anytime somebody gave me some form test that was going to tell the world about me, I would freeze up, you know, and I would do I mean, I'll t I'll take my ACT score to the grave. Right. You'll never know it, Dominic. Um and so I, I just when I you take these uh, Enneagram tests, I would the same thing would happen. You know what I mean? So um, I, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm, I've never been a fan. I've never understood, uh, you know, using this to try to figure out how people work together and that sort of thing. It just all seems uh, it just seems like an inside the box thing. And, I, you know, instead of uh, an outside the box thing hmm. anyway it is anyway it's something if it's in your church or if you've been asking questions about it or if you're wondering uh if you've taken the test you want to find another position understanding here's read this review It'll be very uh, helpful to you now we come to number 10 by brad isbell the church's two laws 
There is more to becoming an officer in the church than laying on of hands by the elders. Vows are the other essential part of office making. So it's the actual formal laying on of hands as well as the vows that we uh, take. He says in the Presbyterian Church in uh, America, uh, the PCA, there are uh, but two offices, elder and deacon. All officers in the PCA are ordained. Both offices, by definition, are filled by and only by ordained persons. So or officers are essential in many kinds of organizations in as much as they're the legally required for pragmatic reasons of function and efficiency. However, the officers of the church do not merely uh, do not serve merely in order to please the secular government or to increase effectiveness of organizations. They serve by divine warrant and command, and thus they are not simply sworn in or signed up. They are ordained. Chapter 17 and other sections of the uh, Presbyterian Church in America's Book of Church Order specifically uh, specified that those duly called to office uh, are to be ordained and that ordinations by the laying on of hands and that only qualified men are candidates for uh, church uh, for ordination. So in the the essence of having officers is not something that's a secular thing. We see it in the scriptures going all the way back to the elders uh, in the city gates and others that God set up in Israel. He structured it, uh, Israel with 12 tribes and then clans within the tribes and families and uh, such that there was order and efficiency that or and um, leadership that arose from within as god set them apart moses remember even didn't want to be called he, you know he called them to go to egypt to uh get my let my people go and uh he protested I, I i'm not gifted for that he says no i've called you so you've been set apart so that's one aspect of um this that the that this article deals with but then so the question is um is the uh there's more to becoming an officer just on laying out of hands that vows are the uh are the other essential part of office making all elders vow as they to uh, that that they approve of the polity of the PCA, that is the church government, that they will be subject to the courts of the church, that is their brothers, and that they will strive for the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church as a whole, which is to say the wider church, not just the local one. That it, because Presbyterianism is graded courts of local church, regional, and then national uh, church as well. And so therefore, uh, these vows seem to require scrupulous uh, adherence to the rules, terms, and pr processes described in the book of church order of the PCA, assuming that they are stated, written, stated law, written, stated law of the church is the law of the church. Such adherence is uncontroversial, essential, uh, uncontroversially essential to the purity, peace, and unity of the church, to say nothing of trust and true harmony among co-laborers in the gospel ministry. Rule benders and organizations often joke that it's easier to ask forgiveness than per, per, uh, permission uh, when supposedly supposed exigency requires non-compliance. But if forgiveness is required due to actual offense, should not uh, repentance, the new obedience also be required, especially when that organization is a church with agreed upon standards, that is the written code of the church. So uh, the two laws is that uh, you have what we have written down and then how people treat it or behave. And that becomes another problem, sort of a bookend now to what we talked about in Tom Harvey's article about how the PCA functions uh, in terms of you know t dealing with issues because of how the book gives us direction, not only the scripture, but also the book church order, about dealing with issues as difficult as they may be, controversial as they may be, uh, in a way that honors the, the, the Christ who is the head of the church and so forth. So uh, Brad really is putting his finger on it in this article uh, that, um, that there's more to being a church officer, just having a position uh, for the sake of efficiency in the organization of the church. It also brings up the deacon issue again that I talked about a second yep. ago. Um, 
One, uh, and I noticed something here in the part of the article when it says one fairly large and modern PCA church of the trendier type at least exhibits the virtue of honesty, even as its leaders brazenly violate basic principles of office and polity. After clearly stating on its website here and here, so he's got these links. One of those links is the Wayback Machine, which for those of you that don't know, that means that the article has been taken down. And the only way to get it now is to use uh, the Wayback Machine, which is if you post something on the Internet, the idea is, hey, the Internet's forever. It's kind of the joke. Um, so, you know, they they are. Anyway, I find that interesting that it was up. Now it apparently isn't. Uh, and uh, it goes on. So the, the website here and here that the church does have female deacons and that all of its deacons are officers. The church explains why with the why hanging on a disputed and controversial Greek interpretation of two New Testament verses as to the how of having something that cannot be had. According to the stated law of the PCA, the leaders of this particular congregation correctly explain that ordination for females is not allowed by the PCA BCO. Their solution, however, is to appoint or commission the female deacons, officers, uh, uh, sans ordination. Uh, let's see. Uh, so far, not, and, and he makes the point that that it's required that in order to be, be the deacon, you know, you, the, you have to be ordained, which is a requirement for the office, and that's something that just, again, needs to be pointed out. But again, Brad Isbell doing a really good job here, um, like he always does. Uh, very, very good stuff and uh, stuff that we all need to be paying attention to. So, Absolutely. Well, uh, Paul, those are the top 10 on uh, March 13, 2023, that uh, will come out in the Accor Report newsletter tomorrow on the 14th of March. And trust that when uh, you receive it, that not only will you sort of take the time to click through those hyperlinks, uh, but uh, feel free to forward uh, the newsletter or any article that uh, in it uh, to friends and others that uh, you may want to engage there or you want to have them explore it with you or just uh, maybe you've already talked about it and say, hey, here's something you might want to uh, look at. And uh, so it's a delight for us to bring this podcast and to serve the church also through the uh, printed word on the web of the Aquila Report. So we thank you for listening to this podcast and for reading the Aquila Report and uh, being part of our audience. We appreciate it. And we look forward to talking to you next time. Lord's blessing in your life.